We'll be in John chapter 3 this morning once again. So if you would take your copy of God's Word and join us there. past several weeks, we have been here looking at this interaction between Nicodemus and Jesus. We've been considering the necessity and the nature of the new birth. And it's very interesting, as you know, studying this, this, the past couple of weeks and then this past week, you really start to wonder... Why is this here? Why did John record this conversation? If you think about the majority, at very least, the majority of Jesus' interactions that we have recorded for us in the Gospels, they fall under a couple of categories. It could be an interaction for healing. We saw that. We see that happen very often. People are coming to Jesus, they're speaking to him, and they leave healed. It could be a, a direct confrontation with Jesus between the religious elite and Jesus, of course. Those are usually pretty obvious because it's either the Pharisees speaking very harshly against Jesus, or it is Jesus speaking harshly against the Pharisees. And so we see those confrontations recorded for us. Then there, of course, there are evangelistic interactions where Jesus is speaking with an individual and they leave believing in Jesus. We can think about the disciples could fall under that category, those interactions. We saw that in chapter 1 where he's speaking to the disciples and they, they follow him. In the next chapter, John chapter 4, the woman at the well they have an extended conversation. John records that extended conversation for us. And the end result is that that woman comes to have faith in Christ. And then you look at this interaction with Nicodemus and you say, it doesn't really fit any of those categories. He's not really confrontational with Jesus, is he? I mean, perhaps you could interpret some of how what he's asking that way, but there's nothing that's at least overtly confrontational about what Nicodemus is saying. If anything, Jesus is doing the, the brunt of the, the speaking here. Nicodemus is really just asking questions because he doesn't understand what's going on. It's not an evangelistic encounter, at least that we know of, because we don't have it recorded for us that Nicodemus went away and he was justified, or, or Nicodemus went away praising the Lord because he was born Again, it's not a healing encounter. We don't see any mention of any sort of malady that Nicodemus is presenting to Christ. So what is this interaction doing here? What is the purpose of this conversation? Well, one of the, at least one, certainly no less than one reason we've already talked about. At the end of John chapter 2, John recorded there that while Jesus was in Jerusalem, he did many other signs, and many people believed in him when they saw the signs. But Jesus, for his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew what was in all men, and he didn't need anyone to bear witness about what was in man. And then chapter 3 begins, and it says there was a man. So we have discussed that the reason, at least one reason, why this conversation is recorded for us is because Nicodemus serves as an example of so-called sign faith that we saw at the end of chapter 2. That this is what it looks like. This is what a person sounds like. This is what a person speaks like when they have seen signs and come to believe in Jesus. But we know that Nicodemus is far, he's not in the kingdom, is he? Because Jesus tells him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. But I would submit to you this morning at least two more reasons why Nicodemus 
This interaction is recorded for us first or second, I suppose you could say, is because Nicodemus stands here as an example of a person with a heart of stone. This is what a person with a heart of stone speaks like. Where do I get that from? Well, you remember last week we were talking about Jesus alluding to Ezekiel 36 where God is speaking about the new covenant and He says, I will remove your heart of stone. Friends, I I know that you are uh, smart enough and perceptive enough to understand that if a heart of stone is being removed, that necessarily implies that there is a heart of stone there. So there are two kinds of people then in the world. Those with the heart of flesh that have, God has given them, according to Ezekiel 36, God has given them a new heart, a, a heart of flesh with his, his laws written upon them who walk in His ways. And then there are those who are with the heart of stone, who are still in the valley of dry bones. There are either regenerate people or unregenerate people. You are either believing or unbelieving. There's not a a third category of people that we would come across in Scripture. So then Nicodemus serves. He's not a person that has the heart of flesh. And we know that because of the interaction. So just doing some logical deduction here, he is an individual who has a heart of stone. And this is exactly what a heart of stone looks like and talks like. This is how a heart of stone hears the words of God. But I would also submit to you that Nicodemus stands here as an example. He is archetypal of the best human effort that we could muster up. He is an example of the best of human effort. Why do I say that? Well, because Nicodemus, as you remember, is a ruler of the Jews. He's a member of the Sanhedrin, which is essentially the Supreme Court justice of the day. That's what Nicodemus is. So he knows how to apply the law to civil matters. But Nicodemus is is also a Pharisee. So he's an individual who took the law seriously in his own life. He would be living with strict observance to the Mosaic law. But he's also a teacher of the law. So in other words, his whole life was built on law-keeping. But not only that, there are many reports that would suggest that Nicodemus was probably amongst the most wealthy individuals in all of Israel. So he is representing then what the best a human can do. And we see, according to Jesus' words, it's not nearly enough. The best a human can achieve, and it's not enough. You must be born again. And you must be born again because you have a heart of stone. So this morning, as we walk through this passage, we're actually going to focus on verses 9 through 13. As we look at this interaction, I'd like to walk us through an analysis of a heart of stone. Because if you remember at the end of chapter 2, Jesus, it is said of Jesus that he didn't need anyone to bear witness about what was in man because he knew what was in man. He knows all men. He, he sees the heart. He sees it all. So in this interaction with Nicodemus, he's not thrown off by pretense or his the pleasantries that Nicodemus offers him. He sees right past it to see Nicodemus's heart. And so throughout this whole interaction, Jesus is dealing with the heart of Nicodemus. And when we get to this passage here in verses 9 through 13, there are three statements that Jesus makes about the heart of Nicodemus. He says in verse 10, you do not understand. He says in verse 11, you do not receive. And then he says in verse 12, you do not believe. So as we walk through this, the closing of this interaction between Jesus and Nicodemus, we're going to have the rare privilege of hearing Jesus talk about the heart of an individual so that we can learn three characteristics of a heart of stone. If you would, 
Take your copy of God's Word and stand so we can read our passage together. John 3, 9 through 13. This is the Word of the living God. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Let's pray. Father, I ask for your help during this time as we open your word. Lord, I ask that you would empower both the proclamation of your word and the hearing, the receiving of your word. Lord, I pray that there would not be any stony hearts found here this morning. And if there are, that the word of God would prove to be a hammer and fire and break the heart of stone and give a heart of flesh. I pray that you would use this time together in your word for the edification of the saints and the glory of God. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. You can be seated. So our outline this morning, if you're taking notes, is framed around those three statements. So the first characteristic of a heart of stone is a heart of stone does not understand the truth. We get this from verses 9 through 10. That's our focus here. This interaction has a lot of lessons to learn. Nicodemus is here as an individual who loves to do. He is a doer. How do we know that? How do we come to that understanding? Because he's a Pharisee. Pharisees love to do. They love to keep the law. They love to pursue their righteousness according to the law. Do this, do this. Don't do that. Don't do this. He would be the kind of individual he loves who loves to do, and he's probably really good at it because he's a teacher and a member of the Sanhedrin. So as he comes to Jesus, surely he did not expect what Jesus had to say to him. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. As we've said before, in other words, all of your life of religious activity is completely meaningless. You need to start over. You need a new life. You need to be born again. This is what you need, Nicodemus. And these words are as piercing today as they must have been to Nicodemus. You must be born again. Something must happen to you that you cannot do. And oh, this grinds against the ears of those who love to do. Those who love to earn. You love to pursue earning. You love to do. You love to schedule your calendar accordingly. And you have a rigid application of that calendar to your life. And you do not deviate from this calendar. You are a doer. You love religion, that kind of person. They love to do. And they love to hear things that they must do to go to heaven because they're very good at doing. But here Jesus is saying, this is the one thing that you need to have happen to you and you can't do it. There's nothing that you can do. This miracle of being born again is a sovereign and supernatural work of God. Jesus likens it to the wind. It blows where it wishes. You can't stop it. You can't make it start. You can't find its beginning. It simply blows where it will. Surely there's nothing a religious person hates to hear more than there is nothing you can do to get yourself to heaven. There's nothing you can do to get yourself to heaven. There's no amount of religious activity. There's no number of songs to sing or prayers to pray. No amount of hours spent serving. No amount of money you can give to the church. There is nothing at all that you can do to get yourself into heaven. 
You can't see the kingdom of God without God performing the sovereign, supernatural work of the new birth in your life. Otherwise, you stand outside the kingdom. Nicodemus, imagine, righteous Nicodemus, who would look down at his nose at the tax collector and the prostitute, stands outside the kingdom of God with, guess who, the tax collector and the prostitute. Everybody stands helpless before God. So naturally, Nicodemus responds here in verse 9, as many do today. How can these things be? What do you mean, Rabbi? I'm the most righteous man in all of Israel. I teach the law. I serve on the Sanhedrin. I tithe of even my mint and dill I have gone across sea and land to make a single proselyte. I can always be found praying in the temple. Rabbi, with all due respect, if anyone is going to see the kingdom, I have earned my way there. If anyone will see the kingdom of God, it's me. I'm not like those sinners and those tax collectors. I'm a righteous man. And I believe that Nicodemus, as I said, serves as this example of the best of human effort. This is the best that you can do. Nicodemus probably could not have done any better. He has reached the heights of human achievement according to religion, and Jesus looked past it and said, it's nothing. It's nothing. And oh, you and I, we can, we can look really good in the human eye, We can look really good to our neighbors. We can look really good to everybody. But what does Jesus see? Whenever he looks upon the heart, not needing anyone to bear witness upon the heart, what does he see? Well, we know when he saw Nicodemus, he looked past the self-righteous religious activity and said it's in effect amounting to nothing. All of your life's pursuits have amounted to so much nothingness that you just need a whole new life. Can you imagine what this would sound like to someone like Nicodemus? No one has spoken to him this way. People respect him. People go to him to hear the law applied. And here Jesus is saying, you basically know nothing. You've done nothing. You need a new life. You need a whole new life. Life. In fact, your efforts would sooner be a hindrance before they would be a help to open the doors of the kingdom of God. Nicodemus must be floored. He certainly never heard any teaching about this need to be born again by the Spirit of God, which of course is incredibly sad. And that's why Jesus responds in verse 10, Are you the teacher of Israel? And yet you do not understand these things? You are the Teacher. He wasn't just a small group leader, in other words. He wasn't a Sunday school teacher. Jesus says he is the teacher of Israel. If Nicodemus be this blind and dull of heart, what must the condition be of the people he is teaching? The blind leading the blind literally. Yet for all of his accomplishments and accolades, he was locked out of the kingdom of God and as such, possessing a heart of stone that could not understand the truth. So Jesus gives him this rebuke. You're the teacher of Israel and you don't understand? How can this be? Jesus has spoken to him about things that he should have understood. He should have made the connection between water and spirit and the promise of the new covenant in Ezekiel 36. He should have understood the need for the work of God in the heart. He should have understood that only God can do this work, but he didn't. How is this possible? How does the premier teacher of Israel not understand something so basic? The simple answer is that he is unregenerate. He has not been born again, and he has a heart of stone. Since he has not been born again, all of his religious achievement is nothing. 
It is of no good in helping him grasp that which is of the Spirit. Can you imagine? Surely nothing Nicodemus had heard before had stumped him. He was an expert in the law. And now here comes this man who is, has no accolades. He has no badges of honor. He has no prestige. And he is stumping him for the first time. How can these things be, Jesus? How can these things be? But you know, this is the case all throughout Jesus' ministry. He's constantly dealing with people who don't understand him. In one interaction between Jesus and the Pharisees, they're unable to understand that Jesus is telling them that he is from the Father. Chapter 8, verse 43. Jesus speaking, Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. They can't hear him, so they can't understand him. He might as well be speaking an entirely different language because they have no earthly idea what he's saying. Then later on in chapter 10, Jesus is telling them about the relationship between a shepherd and his sheep. This is the passage where he says that he is the, great, the chief shepherd, the great shepherd, the good shepherd. Chapter 10, verse 6, it says, John writing, This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. They didn't understand. Could I be any more plain? Sheep and shepherds. These are things that you see all the time. Sheep and shepherds. But over and over again, they just could not understand what he was saying. Their words were falling on deaf ears. Friends, this is a characteristic of a heart of stone. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 says, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and listen, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. You don't get it. You know what's so interesting about this is that Nicodemus has a lot of Bible in his brain. Nicodemus could quote you endless passages of Scripture, but he doesn't understand what it's pointing to or what it's meaning or how to truly apply it to his life. Why? Because he is void of the Spirit of God. And so it is today, my friends. You and I, we can have the greatest theological books on our on our shelf, we can listen to sermons all the day long. We can have the greatest Bible. We can have uh, all of this learning and knowledge in our minds. But if we are lacking the Spirit of God, we won't understand a lick of it. It won't make sense. I can quote it to you, but I'm not sure I understand. Actually, that's not even true. The heart of stone thinks that he understands. What's so deceptive about the heart of stone is that a heart of stone doesn't know it's a heart of stone. A heart of stone doesn't realize it's hard. A heart of stone is dead. It has no comprehension. It doesn't get it. And understand, whenever Jesus says, you do not understand, he's pointing to inability that you're incapable, you are unable, you don't have the capacity to understand even the most basic things of our faith because you don't have the Spirit of God. So, in churches everywhere today, there are people who have been in church their whole life, they can quote Scripture, but they can't understand or comprehend how to apply it to their life. So you tell them biblical truth, and you're called a Pharisee. You try to uphold what Scripture says, and you're a Pharisee. You're legalistic. You're religious. I'm about relationship, not religion. Well, friend, if you're about relationship, Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey me. If you love me, you'll love those laws. You'll love the commandments of God because you know there is safety there. 
You know that God has issued commands because you and I are dull in heart and we are prone to wander, the hymnist said. We are prone to wander away. So he's given us his commands that act as guardrails for us that keep us on the narrow way. And if you're a child of God, you love it so. Because you know that narrow way leads you to the celestial city. You know that narrow way is exactly in the delight of God. But when you are void of the Spirit, these things don't make sense to you. Why would somebody live their life that way? Ugh, so legalistic and so many rules and laws and I just want to be led by the Spirit. You know where the Spirit of God will lead you? Right here. You want to be Spirit-led? Read the Spirit-inspired Word of God. Beware of those who say, I'm Spirit-led, and they don't understand their Bibles. It's pointing to the fact that this is a heart of stone. Why do brilliant people not understand these things? Learned people not understand these things? Because they have a heart of stone. And you can take someone who has no education, who's a janitor at a local school. If the Spirit of God comes to them, they will know more than the rulers. They will know more than these people in the high ivory towers of academia because they have the Spirit of God. And they can discern things that are spiritually discerned. But those who don't have the Spirit cannot fathom, they cannot understand these things. But that's not all. The unregenerate, hardened heart cannot understand the things of God, which is speaking to their inability They are unable to understand, but worse, they are unwilling to receive it. That's our second heading, is the heart of stone does not receive truth. Verse 11, truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. It is surely the height of human arrogance to refuse to receive divine truth as truth. To reject what God has said displays just how hard the human heart is. It's bad enough to be dull of understanding, to not grasp things, but it's even worse to reject the truth. Yet both things are true of the unregenerate heart. Jesus once again employs this phrase, truly, truly, which we have already discussed, literally means amen, amen. What he is saying, in other words, is is absolutely true. What I'm telling you is 100% truth. Then Jesus speaks to Nicodemus of his own competency to speak on these matters. He says, we speak of what we know, and we bear testimony, we bear witness of what we have seen. We speak of what we know, And we bear testimony, we bear witness to what we have seen. In other words, this is not conjecture. Jesus is not attempting to make a really good, educated guess about spiritual matters. He's not saying, well, you know, I think think you have to be born again to get to the kingdom. I'm not sure, but I'm pretty positive that that's how this works. Nicodemus might be accustomed to being the expert and the one everyone turns to for help in understanding the law, but he is way outmatched here. There couldn't be a more competent witness to testify of the things of God than God in the flesh. He even says that he's bearing witness to that which he has seen. In other words, I'm not, this isn't secondhand information. I know this to be true. I have seen these heavenly realities. He is an eyewitness testimony. Yet the teacher of Israel rejects it. Now you might say, Matt, Nicodemus never makes a statement saying that he's rejecting what Jesus said. Well, you're right. To you and I, that's all that we see. But as we consider Jesus' response 
keeping in mind that Jesus doesn't need anyone to bear witness about man because he sees the heart. Jesus uses this word, receive. You do not receive what I'm saying. And the word here for receive means to accept as true or valid. Nicodemus is not accepting as true or valid what Jesus is saying to him, and Jesus knows it without Nicodemus ever even saying it. Jesus knows what's going on in his heart. Jesus knows that this line of questioning from Nicodemus is coming from a heart of stone that neither understands nor receives the truth. Here we are reminded of what John wrote in chapter 1, verse 11 of Jesus, that he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. As the teacher of Israel, no doubt Nicodemus would be anticipating Messiah and now he's talking face to face with him. But the heart is hardened and he does not receive the true words of Messiah. What a sad thing to read. What a sad, pitiful state we are in outside of Christ. This is displayed in the condescension of our Lord. As he walked this earth in the incarnation, he walked as the light, but people in the darkness refused to look at the light. He was the bread of life, but hungry people didn't want bread. He was the water of life, but the thirsty didn't want water. He was the Savior, but the people didn't want to be saved. Listen to the words down in verse 32. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Imagine this. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the truth. Not merely that he is an honest individual, but he is the truth. He walks among us as only having having ever spoken the truth, you realize he never lied. Deceit was never found in his mouth. But no one receives his testimony. Chapter 5, verse 43. I have come in my Father's name, and yet you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you'll receive him. How many false prophets have come in their own name? Joseph Smith, about Mahatma Gandhi, Buddha, Muhammad, on and on and on we could go. These false prophets rise to prominence in their own name, and they are praised and widely accepted. But Jesus comes in the name of the Father, and people don't even believe him. They don't even receive his words as true Isn't this all the more wicked when we recall that Jesus is called the Word? The Word became flesh and no one received the Word. Have you ever been accused of being a liar? Perhaps you've had someone second guess something you were telling them when you were being honest. Doesn't that just rub you the wrong way? Don't you find that deeply offensive? You're calling me a liar? Are you calling me a liar? I'm not a liar. We don't like to have our true words called into question. We find it an insult of our character. But you know what? Have you ever told a lie in your whole life? Yes, you have. And if you said no, guess what? You just told your first lie. Do you know what the law of God would call you? A liar. The law of God would say, well, you're a liar. Further, You're capable of lying. You're a sinful human. It is entirely possible for you to lie. But even though those things are true, you will still find it offensive to be accused of being a liar when you're being truthful. Now, how much worse is it that Jesus, as the walking embodiment of truth, who never lied, nor was he ever able to lie, people rejected his testimony. People rejected the truth. Whether it was regarding the need to be born again or his testimony of having come from the Father, whatever it was, his words were truth. But friends, this too is human nature. 1 Corinthians 2, once again, the natural person 
does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. That's important for us to see. A person who is in their natural state is not only unable to understand the things of God, but they are also unwilling to receive the things of the Spirit of God. They don't accept it as true. What you're saying is not true. I reject it. It doesn't matter how many Bible verses are quoted to them. They don't receive the testimony as true. Why? Because they're unregenerate. They reject God and the things of God. Friends, this is the condition of every single human who is outside of Christ. It's not that they have merely chosen a different path of life and we should respect their wishes. It's that they have rejected God. They have rejected his testimony and they refuse to receive the truth as truth. So let's make that personal. That means your family members. That means your co-workers. That means your friends. That means anybody who does not receive the testimony of Christ as truth. They're not just choosing a different path for themselves. They are rejecting God. They have rejected what he has to say. And this is what the scriptures show us to be true. And you and I must come to terms with this reality if we are to ever evangelize a dying world properly. We live in a time in church history where it is a widely held belief that if you're just nice and friendly and you don't step on anyone's toes, if you are employee of the month, if you're a hard worker, that that's going to be the testimony of Christ. And that is going to be enough to save people. Friends, as we are considering the, this analysis of a hardened heart today, please seriously consider the implications of what we're looking at. There is either a heart of stone or a heart of flesh in people. And the way that we make the determination is not, well, they're really nice and they're really mean. The way that the determination is made is, do they understand the truth? Do they receive the truth? Or are they rejecting it? And it doesn't matter if they've been in church all their life. If to reject the truth is a clear sign that that person still has a heart of stone. So that changes the conversation. It's not, you're my brother and sister in the Lord. It's that I need to share the gospel with you now. I need to talk to you about what Christ did for sinners. I need to talk to you about the offer of a heart of flesh in place of your heart of stone. And friends, it is not loving to pretend otherwise. It is not loving to keep people from the truth. The truth cuts and it hurts and it is rejected by hearts of stone. God calls his word in Jeremiah a hammer. It's called the sword of truth. But today we turn it into a butter knife. We are soon to arrive at one of the most famous passages of Scripture, John 3.16, that speaks of God's great love for the world. But if this interaction were to take place today between Jesus and Nicodemus, that verse would have to have been the first words out of Jesus' mouth. Rabbi, I, we know that you're a teacher come from God because no one can do the signs that you do if God is not with him. God loves you. God loves you, friend. And God loves you so much. He sent his son. That's how evangelistic encounters happen today. But what did Jesus say? You must be born again. Does Jesus not give us a blueprint for evangelism? Do we dare think that we know more than Jesus? That we can evangelize better than Jesus? Well, I know that's how he did it, but I have a better way. I think it's better if we just say that God is love and that God loves you and he loves you so much and he has a great plan for your life and if you just turn to Jesus, he's really going to take you to the next level. I don't think so. Even with someone who's as well-to-do as Nicodemus, Jesus looks at him and says, you must be born again. This is how you evangelize someone who is trusting in their own efforts. You tell them they must be born again, and you do this, friends, listen, 
knowing there's a very good chance they will reject your words if they have a heart of stone. And if they reject your words, you don't say, oh, you have a heart of stone. You pray for them. And you keep trying. And you keep working at it. And you pray. And you trust the Lord. And you pray. And you trust the Lord. And you pray. And you trust the Lord. And you take heart that they rejected Jesus' words. Jesus is the walking embodiment of truth. And they didn't receive his testimony. We're in good company when we're rejected, aren't we? Third, we have looked at the inability to understand, the unwillingness to receive, and now we turn to the heart of the matter. A hardened heart does not believe the truth. Verse 12, if I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one is ascended into heaven except he who has descended from heaven the Son of Man. This is the third, you do not, in this passage, you do not believe. You do not understand Nicodemus. You do not receive Nicodemus. And now you do not believe Nicodemus. You know what's so amazing is that Nicodemus never says these things. But Jesus is here diagnosing the issue with his heart. You don't understand. Your problem is not that you're so good and you need to do another thing to be gooder. The problem is is that you don't understand the truth and you don't receive the truth. It's because you don't believe the truth. Jesus explains that he has told Nicodemus earthly things. He's referring to, of course, the, the earthly analogies that he has given Nicodemus. That of birth, about being born again, being born of water and of spirit. He's explaining this to be a work like the wind. The wind is of the earth. If Jesus has spoken of earthly things and Nicodemus has not believed him, then surely going on to higher and loftier truths will only further serve to prove the hardness and dullness of the heart of Nicodemus. Now I'll grant here that commentators are not at all in agreement regarding how to understand what Jesus is talking about here. Are the earthly things specifically referring to the wind? And is he saying that we're done talking about earthly things, now let's talk about heavenly things? Well, I think it's best to understand that this simply means that Nicodemus is a man of the earth. And as such, he should be able to believe that which is of the earth. But he doesn't. So then he cannot graduate beyond things of the earth to the things of heaven. I get that because of down in verse 31... He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. You're of the earth, Nicodemus. You speak in an earthly way, Nicodemus. You should understand then earthly things, Nicodemus. You're certainly not ready for heavenly things. In fact, no one of the earth can understand heavenly things. Look at verse 13. No one has ascended into heaven so that they can understand heavenly things. You are of the earth. No one has ascended into heaven. What does this mean? When I was first speaking with Heartcry to learn of their approach to missions, I learned something of the common approach to missions. It's you send Americans, at least how we do it here, you send Americans over there to a country they spend usually a couple of years just immersing themselves in the culture so that they can speak the language, they can understand the, the customs of where they are, they can you know, build a home, find a way to make a living, and so on and so forth. And they really immerse themselves to become like a local. They're obviously not a local, but they try to acclimate as much as they can to that culture. They don't still live their American life there They try to live that life over there. So they learn the language. They learn everything about that land. Then he is able to speak with those people on their level because he has become so greatly accustomed to their way of life. That's essentially what Jesus is saying here. That no one has gone into heaven to do that. 
No one has gone into heaven, spent some time there getting to know the angels and learning of the mysteries hidden for ages so that he can come back to earth to deliver all of this wisdom to us on earth. Friends, as a side note, if you've ever heard of the Passion Translation, the person who wrote that translation says that this is exactly what happened. That he went up to heaven, God gave him this revelation of how to understand the Bible, and so he translated the Bible. So, if you see friends and family who have that, lovingly guide them to a better translation. But that also means that these little books and movies and stories about people going up into heaven are not true. How can you possibly say that, Matt? You don't know what people have done. But I do know what Jesus said. He said no one has ascended into heaven and then descended back to earth. And even if they had, they would not have gone to heaven just conveniently to get a book deal or sell conference tickets. No, there is only one who can tell us of the ways of heaven, of the things of heaven, and that is the one who came down from heaven, the Son of Man, Jesus Christ. In the person of Jesus Christ, earth was unthinkably blessed to host that which was of heaven and that which was of the earth. The divine second person of the Trinity took on weak, feeble flesh like you and I have. And still, Nicodemus stared him in the face and did not believe in him. Remarkably, it didn't even matter that God sent his own son from heaven to earth to speak to mankind. That was not enough to move the hard heart of Nicodemus. Once again, friends, it is no different today. We have this incredible record of the historical person of Jesus Christ, this God-man who came down from heaven, who died on a cross, was resurrected, and went back into heaven. This incredible story of something historically true. And people reject it. They don't believe, and they don't receive it, and they don't understand it. Oh, we're happy to believe in luck. We will believe in this force called the universe. We believe that people have died and somehow they've left their ghosts to live in a home. And you can go talk to them if you have a radio. We'll believe these things, but we will even believe in aliens. We'll believe in aliens. Those are real. But the one who created heaven and earth, who actually came and lived and walked on this earth, we look at that and we say, that's ridiculous. That's a ridiculous story. Isn't this reminiscent of the account of the rich man and Lazarus in Luke 16? Where the rich man is saying, send someone from the dead to warn my family, to tell them to repent. And what is he told? They have the law and the prophets. They Listen to that. And the rich man says, no, they'll listen, though, if someone comes back from the dead. And then he's told, if they're not going to listen to the law and the prophets, they're not going to listen to someone coming back from the dead. This is an indictment on the hardness of the human heart. They have the scriptures and they won't listen. If someone came back from the dead, it would do no different. If someone came down from heaven, it does no good. They don't believe. The human heart, apart from Christ, is as hard as stone. It does not understand the truth of God. It does not understand truth from God. And it does not believe in God. This heart of stone is unable to understand and unwilling to receive. And so it rejects God and his Christ. No amount of reasoning, no amount of truth, no witness is faithful enough to move the heart of stone to saving faith in Christ Jesus. That is why you must be born again. You have to be. You have to be given a new heart because the human heart is immovable. The heart of stone doesn't believe, receive, or understand Nicodemus had the same core issue that you and I and every other sinner ever born has. 
He has a heart of stone and he needs the supernatural and sovereign work of God to take place in his heart or else he remains there in his lifeless state. Friends, it's also entirely possible to harden your heart as a Christian. And we do that by ignoring the testimony of the Holy Spirit who convicts us in our sin and we say, no, thank you, I'm good. I'm good, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. Our heart is hardened to the point where once again, we don't receive the truth of God. We can barely comprehend it. We might not even believe it anymore. Our hearts can harden because of sin. Do not make the mistake that every human who's fallen away from the faith has ever made, and that is to discount the power and deceitfulness of your own heart. But if this is an analysis of a heart of stone, what does a heart of flesh look like? We just flip this around. If you know that you have been given a heart of flesh, if you believe that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth, and that he did indeed pay for your sins, that you are a sinner, and his sins were laid on him on that cross, The heart of flesh receives this testimony of the gospel as truth, as unchangeable truth, as sweet and lovely truth. And because the heart of flesh has been given the Spirit of God in the new birth, this individual can indeed understand the things of God. 1 Corinthians 2, Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand of things freely given us by God. Which heart do you have this morning? If you have started to realize that your heart has been hardened and this terrifies you, friend, turn to Christ. What's happening is that the wind is starting to blow and he is giving you eyes to see and eyes to look upon Christ with as your Savior and Lord. But if you've confirmed this morning that you do indeed have a heart of flesh, rejoice. Let's stand. We praise God for the work of regeneration that he has done in our lives because only he can do it. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your word that speaks so clearly. Lord, for those of us who have gone through this analysis of a heart of stone and have confirmed that something is different, we don't have this heart anymore. We have a heart of flesh now. I pray that you would strengthen us and encourage us, help us to rejoice and live in gratitude and to keep this heart of flesh, flesh, to not harden it with the deceitfulness of sin. Lord, and I pray for those who are still living with a heart of stone, that you would give them eyes to see, that the wind would blow, and that you would grant new birth. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen.